Welcome to the Cinephile Hissy Fit Podcast, a tirade filled movie debate podcast hosted by two film critics, cool dads, and summer break teachers. I'm Don Shanahan. And I am William Johnson. We are damn glad to have you folks. This is all for tantrum's sake, where shared passions and high fives wash away any place for hate. In the end, we encourage you all to love what you love. And like last week on Iron Man 3, there's definitely some love to give. But for now, the gloves are off and the hissy fit is on. This week, we're digging in a little bit more into Don's uh, letterbox, I believe, because we're going to talk about 2009's J.J. Abrams, whatever you call this, the Kelvin Universe Star Trek. Recommended by myself, but also poked upon by Will Johnson. Our format is this. The recommending lover goes first. That's going to be me. I'm going to have five uninterrupted minutes to shower my praise and state my high-minded case for the film. The hater follows with five uninterrupted minutes of their own to present their counterpoints with any manner of intellectual scorched earth. After that, we open it up for a 15 minutes or shared conversation where the hissy fit really gets chippy. We hope you got your judge's scorecard. Beam me up. That's a 60s reference more than an 09 reference. But anyway, folks, let's go. Whew. Will, how you doing, sir? I am still recovering from going over your letterbox. We talked about this last mm, week. We did. Because um, I, if, whenever I feel like uh, uh, like masochistic, like I want to cut myself uh, or something, yeah, yeah, I just look at your letterbox and uh, I get that adrenaline rush. Well, I mean, a- after, after last week's cry for help for your social anxiety thing, I feel like <laughs> someone needs to come to your house and take away all your knives right now, okay? Because the letterbox <laughs> is going to keep getting filled up. I'm still going to love what I love here. Um, can I give you a fun fact here today that goes with our recording? Now, I know this is going to be a week later for folks, but uh, we are actually recording this show about 2009 Star Trek on J.J. Abrams' birthday. Oh, really? Look at that. Look at that. Yes, I sir? did not know that. Mm-hmm. So kind um, of apropos, as the fancy people say. Well, I'm super excited to talk about Star Wars. Oh, I'm yeah. sorry, Star Trek. Oh, yeah, yeah, Star yeah, yeah, Wars. yeah, that one. Right, 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 right. That, that's the one. That's the one. That's the one. So yeah. fans... Or for the young people out there, Star Trek is this thing with this old TV show from the 60s. I know you millennials don't understand this because everything revolves around Star Trek. And I know that guy, J.J. Abrams, made one of those Star Trek movies. I think he even made two of them. But there was a time where something was actually universally better than Star Wars that existed around back this time. So we'll get there. Mm. All right. Very good. So, I like that introduction because that's well, very true. It's I'm the, very oh, much man. of the Trek rules, wars, drools kind of guy myself. I, so. I, I am that too. I know those. there's always those internet memes of like, you can only keep one and all the, the pieces that come with it. I'm like, Star Trek, please. Because if I get the original series, if I get Next Generation, D Space Nine, Voyager, like, give me the absolute sheer volume of what Star Trek has accomplished versus what, nine films and a couple of shitty, well, I can't say shitty because I haven't seen them, but the animated shows and all that. Yeah, I'll take Star Trek every time. So, yeah, well, then there, this is this hopefully is not going to be a double love edition because you have no. things to hate. So, OK, no, good, good, good. don't tease me. Here. Don't tease me. here. All right. It will Am I starting the clock for my five? Yes, please. All right. Five minutes going. All right. As the lover of this, uh, I do come at this as the yes, I, I love your term, Will, the, you know, Trek, Trek rules, wars, drools. And. It's not that Star Wars isn't fun, but Star Trek just, to me, always, in every iteration they've done, has just more to say. Star Wars has the Force, and it has 
the mythology based upon that and, and a father-son story that obviously they can't seem to let go of in nine movies. But Star Trek as a, as a whole just goes more places, and I love it. Episodic as it is, as a TV show, and and as you know, cheesy as it was in its old school days, there's just something to be said about something where every time you get a new iteration of it, whether it's a new show or a new movie, it goes to different places. It explores a different, not just literally in terms of exploring a different universe and a different whole thing, but just the the socioeconomic uh, implications and what this hopeful future is. And it just feels so much more rooted in an earthly origin and earthly experience than something that's a galaxy far, far away. So as much as Star Wars can be a mythological fun adventure thing, like it's Willow made in space, you know, even though Willow came after, but, um, Star Trek, what I have always loved is that it's those societal parallels that you can see something in a Star Trek race or a Star Trek conflict in everywhere you go, uh, where it's, it's pulling upon our own kind of you know personal, national, or even international existence. And I dig that. And I admit, when the 09 film was coming around, I like everyone else, you know, you know, it's it's not that that Patrick Stewart and the folks, you know, really needed to hang up their you know, hang up their badges and hang up their uniforms, but I was I was trepidatious about the idea of like, well, you're going to you're going to reboot here. Okay, reboot. That's that's a challenging thing. And in 09, we saw enough things get rebooted in weird ways where Paramount just came off of Transformers. And that's a a hit or miss prospect as it is because Michael Bay is a mess. Um, Now, the 07 film for Transformers is fine. But after that, diminishing returns. Welcome to your dictionary definition. So for Star Trek. I felt like in the hype of that, because I admit that was the day where I, I was a trailer watcher. And then that first trailer came out with, you know, two sides from hell playing, man, I was there. So I admire this film a ton for if you're going to do a reboot for modern audiences, make it look modern, get an eclectic, engaging cast. And it because it's now in 2009 instead of then, go ahead and amp up that action and have a good time. And that is something that I feel like J.J. Abrams absolutely nailed. Chris Pine, top to bottom, there's not a misstep in this cast, in my opinion. Um, The only misstep I can put there is the fact that you felt like you had to do a nostalgia anchor with Leonard Nimoy. And that is his own discussion of a bad thing that I'm sure is going to fill our 15 minutes. Um, But that is the one crutch I can kind of put on this movie while the rest of it I praise is you probably didn't need Leonard Nimoy and to kind of do this whole both timelines exist. And this is just a new one going forward. You're going to reboot and do James T. Kirk and and Spock and the pieces that are there. Just go ahead and do it your way. Don't have to tie in the old stuff. Just do your own thing because you've got great actors and young kids coming into these roles who are more than capable of doing their own thing. And you've made a great look, you've made a great product and it can go. So the nice part is about this. For for me, the movie delivered. I know they kind of pull their punches and they kind of do an origin story build up, and you don't get that big full view of the ship till the last big battle. But man, I'm on the edge of my seat, and I'm loving every minute of what this new cast can take with these character types and spin their own ideas into. You have Carl Urban still, you know, not doing direct McCoyisms, but kind of putting his own little rancor to it. Chris Pine having a great slick time. Um, Oh, gosh, just like I said, top to bottom, this cast action delivered 
villain delivered. Eric Ben is a good series villain. I I dug that opening intro origin, the little pre-show thing with with Kirk's father. Edge your seat stuff. Great action. New new ideas. Simon Pegg steals every scene. Oh my goodness! I just I when you found this on my letterbox, it was listed as I think my favorite film of 2009 and i've talked about this on the show where i'm the favorites versus the best guy and for me i know this movie has its flaws i know this movie could have done a few things differently and better but hot damn did i ever have fun watching this movie could pick it up anytime and get into it michael giacchino's music just sings it all home i i just have fun just have a damn good time with this movie and that's my five where's my bell all right interesting interesting yeah yeah all right, so to start my five minutes, I'm going to take a look at J.J. Abrams, okay? Oh, I understand. He has, he has directed six films, okay? I'm not going to look at his TV work. His TV work is a little bit more varied, a little bit more subtle. But if you look at the six films he's made, all of them are in some ways an homage to something. Um, Star Wars The Force Awakens, which is my second favorite Star Wars movie, um, the major complaint about it, is that it's basically a New Hope Redux. And that's fine with me because Star Wars is based off of tropes. And um, Joseph Campbell's, you know, uh, what are they called? Uh, Not tropes, but um, archetypes. Mm -hmm. So telling the same story twice is fine for something like Star Wars. Uh, Super 8 is very much a Spielbergian tribute. MI3 was pushing that series in a different direction. Um, And then you have the Star Trek, the two Star Trek films he did. Now. There are two things in this life, <laughs> in pop culture, that I defend to the death, and I have I feel very personal about, and that's Star Trek and Marvel. Um, now, the reason why I don't fight too much about changes with Marvel is because the comic book industry in itself is full of change. Every year you've got a new trend, a new idea, a new type of storytelling. You have different artists on every book, so you have different takes on characters. So when they try to push things with their films, I'm okay with it because that's the that is the essence of comic books. Star Trek is a different matter. Star Trek is just like Marvel, something that I've had in my life since the beginning of time it seems. You know, there's not a life I've had that does not revolve around Star Trek. The thing about Star Trek, if Star Wars deals with archetypes, Star Trek deals with uh storytelling on a moral level. Because when you really sit down and think about Star Trek, the original series from the 60s, or Star Trek The Next Generation in the 80s and 90s, less so with Deep Space Nine because that was a a bent a little bit more realistically. But if you look at the two major shows that created what they call lightning in a bottle, you know, twice, which is TOS and TNG, when you really sit down and think about those stories, they don't make a lot of sense in terms of real world. Like when you think of the Klingons and you, you know that they're a warrior race and they all love being warriors, <laughs> it doesn't make sense that there would be Klingon scientists or jet pilots or, you know, <laughs> you know, caring Klingon fathers or mothers because the Klingons themselves represent an idea. They represent mm-hmm. at, in the 60s, they represented a group of people or a group think idea. Star Trek isn't really about realism. It's not about, and the reason why it's so episodic is because it's not about telling a character story from the sense of, you know, Captain Picard goes from A, B to C. 
It's more about Captain Picard as the avatar for humanity going from A, B to C. Um, so to me, the essence of Star Trek isn't the awesome ship battles or which there's not a lot or, you know, uh, the character progressions on a personal level with a William Riker or a James T. Kirk or a Captain Picard or a Worf or Chekhov or Sulu, whatever. It's more about speaking to the human condition. Now, I'm all for Star Trek 2009 being a nice homage to that series. There's a lot of colorful um, in-jokes and great costume design and the ships are fine. And you can tell the essence of Star Trek is there from a visual perspective, but that doesn't separate it from the kind of homages that J.J. Abrams is used to doing. Super 8, you can tell, is a Spielberg film with Through His Eyes. Star Wars The Force Awakens is a Star Wars A New Hope through his eyes. You know, and Star Trek is the same way. It is taking the physical attributes of Star Trek, showing them on the screen, and rewriting it. The biggest crime for me of Star Trek, which I don't hate, I have it as a three on Letterboxd, which isn't bad, um, is that it has nothing to say about the human condition. It has tropes and themes for the characters but i don't feel like i've got anything out of the experience besides a good time and to me star trek was always about entertainment second it was Mm. about saying something about the human condition human life the world the universe and our morals first it was basically the type of show that made me a good person or at least i think i am (laughs) so Um, that is kind of, I don't get any moral sense from this film. Do I have fun? Um, yes. Is it emotional? The, um, the, the opening 10 minute scene with Chris Hemsworth is very emotional. It actually brought tears to my eyes, Mm -hmm. but am I getting anything out of it? That's the issue. See, opening up our second 15 minutes back and forth here for a second. I'll counter that. I, I, Kirk, Kirk's arc because of that opening sequence with his father, not having known him. And like I said, I'm not going to get into all canon erasure where, you know, he wasn't, he wasn't not supposed to lose his dad and stuff like that. Like I, like I said, if you're doing a reboot, do your thing. And that whole arc of the, of what he represents either as a misfit or what he's trying to do to kind of ascend and show off what he can really do. And Bruce Greenwood kind of, you know, trying to kind of, you massage that along the way in every step of the levels and all that. Like I enjoyed the Kirk arc of this enough where that was enough of a, I know you call it emotion and not maybe the next bigger thing. And maybe it wasn't going to have the next bigger thing, but I really dug that. And I thought that was enough to come out of it. At the same time, we do get a reasonably decent little slice into what makes Spock tick. And I felt like that also as in terms of the origin story can, can help a little bit. Both of those things, I don't want to say required, but necessitated, Mm -hmm. at least from a filmmaking standpoint, that you do a little bit of canon erasure because, you know, losing Vulcan and losing Kirk's father are two things that shouldn't happen to steer these guys in the way that they do. But all of a sudden we're presented with that and here we go. And I was okay with those curveballs because we are in reboot land and that can be done by doing so with whatever Spock Prime, whatever we're supposed to call him. That's where I'm like, Nimoy is there for fan service, and that is a complete J.J. Abrams thing to do. And that, that's the knock I put on this movie where I'm like, ah, if you, could, if you could 
do all the things that you're doing in a really cool way without needing to go. And I feel like that was planted there just to make the diehards happy when you don't have to by if you're going to do a reboot of making a new idea of what of who who Kirk is and who Spock is and all that you can do that and all the old stuff doesn't go away and i and i, I hate that about hardcore fans because that happens all the damn time where as soon as somebody wants to reboot or redo something that they hold dear they think that just because they think the new thing is going to erase the old thing. Do you lose your damn DVDs? Are your VHS tapes intact? Does your player still work? Because fuck, man, you could pick up any old iteration you want and watch it. None of that shit goes away. None of that shit gets erased. It just adds to it. It just expands. It just goes further. And that that's the nice part about this is I didn't care if they were erasing little things, little things there. They were going for something new and I was open for it. See, yeah, I, I agree with you in a sense. I, mm-hmm, I'm mm-hmm. with you in a sense. What I guess what I'm saying is, is that when I go into a Star Trek film, I think if you're going to reboot it, yeah, you still need to have a reboot is basically telling the same story just from a different perspective, but the essence basically is still there. Like, you know, you don't if think the, the Star it, Trek mission is still there? I or don't. Wambiz Pow, it gets actionified. I, I, I absolutely think it's actionified because okay. Um, okay. the I can my head of, that. because the Star Trek characters are in essence very broad because that's what they have to be to get their point home because mm-hmm. they have to be avatars of us. Right. I and, think that and they represented them, the pieces of what they were like, you know, Chekhov and Scotty are your quintessential immigrant spock is your logical guy kirk is your non-logical guy ahura is given much more to do in this one which is a nice little uptick and yeah yep for sure so i don't have a see this is weird it's it's on a movie level i have no Mm -hmm. problem with that on a storytelling level i have no problem with that it's when you attach the star trek name to it i have certain Mm. expectations and this is different than expectations we talked about in our joker episode about something being good or bad yeah I think that if you're going to make a Star Trek film, you have to, you have to, there's certain rules that apply, you know, like any, let's hear what rules, what rules are broken in 09 here? Well, like I said, it comes down to a very actiony premise. That's true. Uh, And Star Trek has had this problem on the big screen before, especially in the next generation era. Mm -hmm. Um, Movies like insurrection and nemesis. Yeah. thought that they could get by with having a very action-centered um, right because it's a movie come because it's a movie blow exactly. it out however, yeah i get it however get it. the greatest star trek films star trek the motion mm. picture star trek mm-hmm. 2 yes sir. star trek 4 star trek first, 6 yeah and first, first contact. contact uh-huh they all have they all have a moral story to tell at its core that's true like when you when you get out of the movie you go I really learned a lot about this or that or A and B. It hits you in your head as much as your heart. Sure. Exactly. Now this movie is, like I said, I gave it a three out of five. It's, it's a good movie. It's well done. The Mm -hmm. action is fun, but I left the movie thinking that was a great star Wars movie. Ah, I didn't get any star Trek. And, And that's fine. Like, like you said, if Kirk, if they decided to really have balls and reboot this, right, and not have any connections to the prior universe or do any of that stuff, 
then to me, Kirk has to be different. They they try to have their cake and eat it too. They try to have Kirk be the very um, young Turk Kirk from the show. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But like you said, some of the things they've done would severely alter his character growth. Um, you know, in the original Star Trek, he has his father. Mm-hmm. In this one, he doesn't. In um, the original show, Vulcan lives. In this one, it doesn't. Right. There would have to be fundamental changes to the characters. The problem is, is they're saying that these things don't affect them from their, whatever you want to call it, fate, because they end up being the same characters we got on the show. And when you don't have Kirk, when you have Kirk acting like Kirk, someone dressing up like Kirk, but not acting like him, especially when he would have these alternate things assigned Mm -hmm. to him. That really kind of set me off a little bit. If this was an original science fiction film, I would have no issues at all. I hear you there. Once you, once you throw the Trek on there, you mm. have certain obligations you have to abide by because that's what Star Trek is about. Sure. And that's, and that's why I've never really been into the newer iterations. Uh, trust me, I was so excited when they announced a Picard series. Mm-hmm. But I haven't seen it yet. I need to. I need to. I need. I to. watched three episodes and I gave up because it's not oh? Star Trek. I I don't get the Discovery thing. I've seen people review it, and it's all battles and the end of the world. It's it doesn't get the aspect of what Star Trek is. When you watch the motion picture, mm-hmm. nothing really happens. Like in terms no. of action, it's it's very it's much the, an introspective it's the journey. Thing. Yeah, even the worst Star Trek movies. Mm-hmm. Um never fail to try something on the moral scale. Star Trek five is considered one of the worst Star Trek films, but I still love it because it attempts to say something about the human's ability to age humans, knowledge and wisdom. They gain through time. Yeah. Um, the idea of what the heady stuff is there. Sure. Yeah. Like that stuff does not exist in this Star Trek. That does not exist. There's nothing. Stop the bad guy from blowing something. Yeah. There, I admit, there is nothing that heavy in this first 09 Star Trek. And I was okay with that because if the heavy lifting is done from character curveballs and, and creating, letting these new actors kind of flesh these characters out, some of which more than they ever were, I, I, that was enough for me. Like, that's a good start. And I, you know, I don't know if we'll ever get a show on this one, but like Star Trek Into Darkness, what, what, the bigger test for me was where it would go in a sequel and into darkness. I liked, I, I enjoyed into darkness in the same way I enjoyed this one because I didn't mind the uptick of action and you definitely get more of a frenzy pace and, and uh, in action part to, to into darkness. And they kind of, of course, kind of surprise and sully, not quite Mandarin style, but um, you know, they, they kind of sully a villain that you were hoping would do a little bit more where, yeah. Yeah. And then, and then, and then, yeah, you can't help but have the modernisms because we were talking off camera here about like Star Trek Beyond and dirt bikes, and like now you're just throwing things in here just for fun. And when yeah. you when you miss opportunities to do something headier, and for as much as Khan pushes buttons in Into Darkness, and as much as Idris Elba tries, although he doesn't get a big enough chance, there's not a lot of buttons being pushed in the third one either. And that is why we haven't gotten a fourth one. And that's why these movies haven't been able to keep going, and that's okay. But as a as a ramping good start, I had a good time. See, I of all the three 
JJ verse films or whatever you want to call them. Yeah. I like star Trek beyond because it is their attempt to tell an original story with these characters. Mm -hmm. And there actually is kind of a moral component to it. I agree. It's not very fleshed out. Yeah. But it, see the, the major issue was that, um, all these franchises have a problem. Uh, Star Wars has this problem. Star Trek had this problem, which is why it went from dominating television in the eighties mm-hmm. to disappearing is because what happens is, is they get too, um, they get too involved in their own mythology and they mm-hmm. have too many rules. And then there's too many hours of TV mm. and they can't get out of their own way. I, like, I agree. There. I'm not a huge Voyager or enterprise person. Enterprise is a terrible show. I don't care what anybody okay. says. It's a very bad show um, because it kind of upends what happened before by trying to tell this prequel story, but I won't get into that. My point is, is that Star Trek had the opportunity and, and like you said, it got off to a good start and I was actually okay. I was like, when I left the theater seeing Star Trek, I was like, okay, you know what? It's like they said, not my daddy's Star Trek, mm-hmm. but I had a good enough time. The cast is great. The action was good. It's not Star Trek to me, but I'll still, I still like the cast enough and the action to see another one. The problem with the second one is they repeated the same mistakes that the franchise did mm-hmm. by remaking Wrath of Khan. So not only do yeah. you remake one yeah. of the Star Trek stories, but you remake the best one. See, if they were, bad I wish, I wish these movies, these Abrams movies, because you made such a big effort to start the original crew at day one, that if you're going to do these, you know, reboots and stuff. Go remake and expand old episodes from the TV show instead of right. trying to extend the movies. Because Rathicon should matter years down the road when you know when it's veteran Kirk and veteran Khan. They've crossed paths before. All those all those aspects of that story belong in an older time. Go remake Space Seed. You know, go remake that Khan first appearance and start it off that way. They kind of do because we now see why Khan ends up where he ends up you know, from the original series, but you, right. you can't do that borrowing Wrath of Khan. You, you're, that's a little bit of cart before the horse. That's a little bit of venom before Spider-Man. It's, they, they, they're, they got too cute, you know, and. Oh, way yeah. too cute. The, the way whole scene with the whole scene with, um, Quinto and Spock and see, I don't yeah. even call them Spock or Kirk. I call them by the actor's name because they're not those characters to me. But oh, see, I, I see Kirk and Spock, but I understand what you mean. I see Carl Urban as Bones mm-hmm. personally. Um, yeah, he's great. I I see Anton Yelchin as Chekhov. Mm-hmm. Um, but the rest I see as imitations. But anyway, my point is is that the scene with Spock and Kirk in the radiation chamber, mm-hmm. which is a direct thing. I mean, yeah, such That's, a miscalculation. Yeah, I absolute. I, I was so mad about that film. But we'll focus on Star Trek the original. But I guess yeah, I guess my main point of the whole thing is Star Trek Beyond tried to do what I think Star Trek should have done, which was pay attention to the ideals of Star Trek, but tell your own story. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Star Trek Beyond does a really good job of, with the exception of some callbacks to Kirk's character, like listening to Beastie Boys and shit like that. Mm -hmm. um, It's mostly an isolated episodic tale with a moral center. Yes. There's uh, a race, uh, a motor cross scene, which is absurd, but Mm -hmm. For the most part, it focuses on characters trying to solve an issue. Now, and it and unlike a lot of the Star Trek films, 
which would, would always seem a little small scale for the most part. Like Rathacon takes place on two spaceships in the middle of nowhere. Like it's right. not a very grand story. Um, you know, I, I think Star Trek, the motion picture is very wow. grand in that it, it takes place in the vast of space with this mm-hmm. creature and stuff. But for the most part, they still have very isolated fable like stories. Star Trek beyond does a great job of combining the ethos of Getting Star Trek yeah. with large scale movie style stuff. Cause mm-hmm. in the end, there's still like a whole planet that's like under duress. Oh yeah. You know, but it ties into the villains morality. It ties into the villains take on what, you know, the, the classic stories are, you know, um, this happens a lot in uh, my favorite iteration is um, Akira Kurosawa's um, stray dog, which is okay. two people have the same thing happen to them, but one goes in the good direction. One goes in the bad direction. What would mm. happen if Kirk was mm-hmm. put in the position of Idris Elba's character? Yeah. Would he turn into Idris Elba's evil or would he still be Kirk? That's the kind of meaty stuff I want mm-hmm. from Star Trek. That's and a fair thing to want. The original Star Trek reboot doesn't do that. And I get it. They want to make something that's going to make money because Star yeah. Trek was languishing. I mean, people forget that when The Next Generation was on TV, uh, not only did it change syndication forever, uh, which is a whole thing, but if if it wasn't syndicated and it was on a Nielsen's graph, Star Trek The Next Generation would have been in the top five oh, yeah. of every major television show in the country because it was a massive success. Yeah. Now you go off to, by the time they had Enterprise, they were on the fledgling UPN network. People are tired of it. The movies mm-hmm. were starting to bomb. So yeah. I understand they needed to reboot the franchise in terms of interest, but to me, they sacrificed what Star Trek is to That's make fair. a Star Wars movie, in my opinion. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Not bad, not bad. I still have fun. Hey, look at us stay tight in the timer today, huh? Indeed. We talked about uh, Beyond and uh, Into Darkness more, but... Uh, oh, I think uh, we covered the first one just fine. Before we, before we finish, yeah, I think we both agree that the cast is excellent. Mm-hmm. Um, Love Giacchino's score. Awesome. The, the Bra- score, Bronny Brassy score, score. The score is good. And what they did, which I liked, was that he made a score of his own. Yeah. It is not Until connected end. to. End credits, they throw out the courage intro, but that's good. Yeah. Well, it's kind of like we were talking about Casino Royale in a previous episode. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. Casino Royale does a, a, a purposeful job of not being a Bond score until the very end. It's mm-hmm. letting it create its yeah. own thing. I so did, I can I actually that, yeah. listen to the Star Trek score and not get mad because I'm like, this is a good score. This fits this version of Star Trek. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's not a retread yeah. of prior stuff. So the, the score is good. Visual effects. Um, Oof, what do you think of it. the des- what do you think of the design of the Enterprise? Oh, loved it. The pr- I mean, the production. Like, if, same thing. Like I kind of introed with the our start of our episode, where if you're gonna make a Star Trek for now in '09 or just this century. Yeah, gaudy it up. Get glassy, get glossy. I love that they used a Budweiser beer factory for engineering with like actual <laughs> pipes and things and not just glowing backroom screens. You know, like it looks like it would run a ship. Did and you they like they the ju- Apple store for a bridge. <laughs> I'm fine. I'm fine. Yes, because I think if you were to do that today, it would look like that. And and it's not all that far fetched from I don't know if you saw the Midnight Sky with with George Clooney this past award season. Or I did not. I did not. Or if you saw Ad Astra, things mm-hmm. would, yeah, like, 
if you're prognosticating into the future, we're kind of there at panels and touchscreens. Sure. You know, look look at the interior of a Tesla car. It looks like a Star Trek bridge. So yeah, I I had no problem with it. And if anything, I'm my jaws on the floor gobsmacked at how cool it looks. My only issue my only issue with these is that unlike the original series and TNG, um, and I mentioned those specifically because if you remember in the Star Trek history, they destroyed the Enterprise D from the TV show in the first mm-hmm. movie that they did. That's right. Which was right. very beautiful, which was very uh, traumatizing to me because that <laughs> ship is like a second home for me. Like I sure. know everything about it and you never got the same feeling again about the enterprise with the enterprise E in first mm-hmm. contact insurrection yeah. and nemesis. you never really felt at home there. Yeah. So somehow I don't know how it works, but Star Trek used to make the ship a character in itself. See, and I I got character out of this ship. I didn't see when it gets because of the way they beyond, added. Yeah. Oh well. When it, gets, when it gets destroyed and beyond, I had no feelings whatsoever. Oh, when the I, Enterprise I, I, I is destroyed bummed. in Star Trek Three and the yeah. Enterprise is destroyed in Generations, I'm gutted. I feel mm-hmm. like I lost a home. In this, I'm like, oh, the Enterprise is destroyed. They'll just build another one. Well, <laughs> you know? I, that's because they've built another one before. But no, yeah, I yeah. I thought the character, I, the production design is phenomenal. I thought the the ship had character because they added as many practical things as they could. Apple Store, Budweiser Factory didn't matter. Like it, <laughs> it looked, it looked great. It was the first Star Trek film to win an Oscar. Um, About time. The previous, all the Star Trek films combined were zero for ten at the wow. Oscars. Um, and Star Trek was the first one to win the 2009 so um good for them for yeah, finally pulling that off tip. so i believe the makeup was done i could be wrong it might have been the second one but i believe the makeup was done by the crew um this is this is for my my horror folks but uh heather langenkamp who was in a nightmare on the street she married a makeup artist who ended up winning you're gonna make me scroll down the oscar thing so star trek won makeup and the three people who won are Barney Burnham, Mindy Hall, and Joel Harlow. Is that ringing any bells for people for you? I don't think so. So maybe it's the second one because uh, the second one has some very clever makeup cameos. Mm -hmm. Uh, Heather Langenkamp herself plays an alien, and Jeff Bezos plays an alien. And let me see real quick. Uh, She is married to David Leroy Anderson. Um, you got me on this one. Okay, so he now? must have done it on the second one. He won uh, Academy Awards for uh, Nutty Professor and Men in Black, but he did, I believe, he did the um, makeup effects for okay. one of these. Okay. Obviously, did not win for Star Trek. But my yeah. point, my point remains, is that finally Star Trek was able to bring home Oscar gold. One of the things that was frustrating as a Star Trek fan, uh, mm-hmm. going against Star Wars fans. Is oh, that yes. Star Wars would always be like, "Hey, well, we got a Best Picture nomination," so <laughs> so I was always like, "God damn it! I wish we could have had a one in the original era, but that's the way." <laughs> that's true. Well, good stuff, man. Absolutely, yeah. Let's uh, let's uh, let's outro this bitch. Space, the final frontier. Oh, sorry. Uh, oh, follow us on Twitter at Cinephile Fits. And on Facebook and Cinephile Hissy Fits Podcast. Also, find us both on Letterboxd. Maybe, just maybe, we will post a poll matching this episode for your listeners to weigh in on who you think made the most compelling argument to win this Cinephile Hissy Fit. 
Thank you so much for your captive audience and social media participation. Cinephile Hissy Fit is a 25YL media podcast. It is brought to you by RuminationsRadioNetwork.com. Please visit, rate, review, and subscribe. If you enjoyed this show, we have way more for you where that came from. We have interesting hosts. Don himself is the most interesting man in the world. Uh, and I'm okay. And then we're going to have, we are, I can confirm this. We are going to have some wonderful guests in the future. We're expanding our universe a little bit. Um, and uh, we are going to bring in some really cool voices to provide some tiebreakers for us. Um, all of this stuff is available on iTunes, Spotify, and anywhere you find your favorite shows. Live long and prosper, Don. Live long and prosper to you too, Will. May the force be with you. You're supposed to say peace and long life, nerd. Oh, well. <laughs> it matches the character. Do you ever find yourself sitting at the bar, beer in hand, watching the four o'clock Jacksonville Jaguars game, doing everything you can to beat your coworker's half brother in fantasy football? Well, 25 Yards Later is here to help. We're a fantasy football podcast with top-notch analysis, earworm music, and plenty of laughs. Each week, we dive into four games, putting every fantasy-relevant and occasionally fantasy-irrelevant player under a microscope. Block out all the haters with 25 yards later and make sure that Chad knows that he isn't the best. Available everywhere you get your podcasts.